growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome to all you ganja gurus, marijuana mamas, and cannabis kooks. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. You know, I've been in this industry for many years cultivating cannabis since the late 80s. And as a cannabis cultivator, breeder, and journalist, I've had the privilege of meeting and collaborating with some of the best growers in the world. Our guest today is known by many as Breeder Steve a man who has spent much of his life immersed in understanding, cultivating, and breeding the world's most versatile and, dare I say, most popular natural growing plant. In 1994, Steve founded the Spice of Life Seed Company with the vision of providing the world with the top-of-the-line organic cannabis. Steve is not only a master cultivator, but one of the most brilliant cannabis breeders in the world, in my estimation. His strains are synonymous with quality and flavor. And his passion for producing the world's best, tastiest organic pot has led him to push the limits of conventional cultivation techniques. Steve doesn't just want to get you high. He wants to make your mouth water. If you ever get a whiff of one of his drool-worthy strains, you'll find that Steve breeds the kind of cannabis only a true connoisseur could create. Steve, I want to welcome you to The Grow Show. Well, Kyle, thanks very much for having me and for that very kind introduction. Boy, it's been a long time. How many years has it been since we met in Switzerland? I think that was maybe 2001, maybe. That's a good guess. I'll buy that. I know it was somewhere between 98 and 2001, something like that. And man, I just remember being very almost <clears throat> overwhelmed with not just the scale, really, but with the precision that you were doing things. And some of your strains back then were some of my, some of my favorites. Whatever happened to the Strawberry Blonde? Well, that's an excellent question. That was a one-time release in 94 back in Vancouver, and we never did it again. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was a tasty one, and the nuggets really were strawberry-shaped and kind of had a faint strawberry aroma. They were unusual, quite an uplifting buzz. What was the lineage on that, do you recall? It was kind of a sensey jumble, let's say, that had some NL haze and haze skunk in it and that. It was something that really uh, lit my receptors up, I remember. Is it extinct, or, or do you still have it somewhere in the stable? I don't have any. I might have some friends that might still have some. but Oh, cool. Well, you know, it's really funny because it's completely coincidental that I'm having this show with you back-to-back. Last week, I had Mark Richardson, Bubble Man, on. Yeah, and we reunited in Jamaica, which was really cool, at my wedding about a month ago. I'm That's sure great. Congratulations it. again. Yes. Thank so you very Instagram much. Picks. I'll take it. all the congratulations I can get. It was wonderful. But it's, it's, really, uh, it's really interesting that right after Back to Back, I mean, I met you and Mark at the same time. That was when we first met, when you had your facility in Switzerland. Yeah, that was a, an epic visit for sure. It was for sure. It really put me over budget. I actually overdrew my bank account and High Times never paid me back, so I got a closed <laughs> bank account out of it. <laughs> oh, nasty. So, you know, how about just a quick intro to our listeners about yourself, you know, maybe what you're doing now or how you got into cultivation in the first place? Well, I got into it in the first place as a teenage head that just wanted the best they could have for 
personal, right? Sounds and familiar. Back in the day, in late 80s, when you started as well, the, you couldn't walk into a grocery store and buy some cuttings. You couldn't even order seeds in the mail. There really wasn't a lot going on as far as anything to help the home grower other than some great publications. There was some good writing in High Times and Sense Amelia Tips and uh, some grow books. So you could start learning about it, but you really were in need of saving seed whenever you found some good seed from some herb you liked. And from that, saving more seed because you might not find that again, you know? So you're always just keeping your own out of necessity. And then that became half the fun. You started developing something over a few years that you recognize as yours, you know, feels special to you. Right. So I realized quickly that you could grow much better herb than you could buy. And I thought, you know, everybody would try and buy some of you and you say, I can't sell this to you because I can't replace it. You know, I can, but I can give you some seeds and a page of instructions on how to go dig a hole in the woods and fill it with good organic mix. Uh-huh. Then you, you can grow your own and all I ask is a few more people how to do it. So we've all got beautiful jars sitting at home and exactly. nobody's looking around for commercial herb, you know, and uh, it just became more about having it in plenty for for all to share. That's for sure. That's definitely what we've agreed on all the way since we first met is, you know, going organic and, you know, if you call it medicine, it's supposed to be good for you. This is kind of a, it's a long question, but it's kind of, it's two pronged. So I want to know how and when you think you made the jump from basic cultivation into breeding and what's the difference between a cultivator and a breeder? Well, most cultivators are well served just to try out a number of cuttings in their garden and see what works best for them, what they enjoy, what grows well in their scenario. Mm -hmm. And then they can just keep doing it efficiently from cuttings. Most cultivators never need to do selections from seed. It's more the hobbyist and enthusiast that's interested in finding a new plant. And of course, uh, the wise cultivator will do the same. If you test a lot of seed in your garden or your field, You'll see what works in your area or in your setup if you're inside. And you say, oh, this plant really shines in this environment. Uh So most cultivators, they've just got to find the one that works for them. And once you start breeding, you're trying to fine-tune that so that you've got one that works exceptionally well for your environment or your tastes, you know? I know I was very lucky early on because, as you mentioned about not having stores to go into, I didn't have a circle of growers or a store or anything. And for my first seven, eight, or nine years of cultivating, I grew seed to harvest completely. I didn't cut a clone until I was almost 10 years into cultivating. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say by that other than that um, cultivating was – was the really important thing for me. And, you know, that's something, another thing that we have in common. Uh, well, in most of the world, all the development that's happened in cannabis genetically, it's been the result of millennia of cultivators correct. maintaining their seed stock because right. they, they didn't have lights to save mothers in for the winter and whatnot, right? Right. So, 
And that's why I, uh, which we're not, I'm just going to touch on, but why it's so important to make sure as we grow forward that the individual retains his right to cultivate for himself because, you know, that's where this whole industry has come from, is from home growers and breeders. We're going to talk about that a little more in the second segment when we get a little bit more serious. But what techniques do you prefer these days as far as growing? Are you still using the uh, guppy ponics feeding hamburgers to your Oscars? Well, ideally, that's what I would set up for any indoor or greenhouse. Uh-huh. Uh, right now, I am not personally growing anything because I don't have a license, but I'm mm-hmm. working with a licensed place to do some work there, and they're just growing in the soil mix. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm back at, you know, buckets of soilless mixture, pro-mix. Pro you know, from Canada, I, I prefer that a lot. I get really healthy uh, root structures. And I find that the flavor, you know, when have you ever tasted a tomato that came out of hydroponics that tasted anything like one that came out of the ground? Well, that's right. You might be able to get close to it, but I still think that soil-grown cannabis is ultimately, ultimately way the best. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. If it's done well, that's for sure. That's a pleasure to have soil grown. I I really love aquaponics as an even cleaner. Uh-huh. Like the soil, you can be excellent, clean, and natural, and you can grow phenomenal grass. I'm not knocking soil, of course. That's where it was born. But in the aquaponics, you really get such a clean varietal expression. There's less uh-huh. influence from the soil because the water... It's just sweet water that's flowing yes. over it, and it's extremely, extremely dilute, the nutrients in it. It's more that the water's alive and that the bacteria on the rocks where the roots are are alive and constantly making a very fine amount of nutrient. But because it's constant, it's never depleted. And the ashes of a joint, when you rolled some nice, well-grown aquaponic, they're really white, not even gray. Like the oh. ashes are white and smooth, and the last toke of the joint can taste as the same as the first toke. Not That's get all parched halfway through with soil. You know, you can overfeed it whether it's organic or chem, and then you don't get grass that burns very well. And soil holds a lot of nutrient. You know, surely. It's, uh, it's hard to really deplete it totally. You can get a great fade. There's no question. As long as things are left long enough, they they soften up. Yeah, yeah, that that fade yeah, is fade really. The aquaponic was a lot of fun, and it's so so much less labor intensive than hauling soil in and out. Oh, that sure. For me, just ripping them out of the rocks and sticking them back, sticking cuts back in. You know, amazing. Yeah, it's easy. We had one reservoir running three years. And it was just had a float valve that constantly topped it up if it went below its uh, normal feeding level. So it was just on a constant level. And that tank never got changed for three years. And the only reason it did then is we moved from that warehouse. So it could just, the reservoir can just kind of be used indefinitely. It's amazing. It really is interesting. I'm, I've got my ears open for sure because, you know, I'm all about the cleanest, most residue-free po- possible. And, um, and, and you'll have the growth rate of, of other water gardens because the roots just explode in the open space and just take off, you know. Real quick before we break for the, the segment, what is your favorite strain at the present to grow, can you say? You know, I've never had one favorite. That's kind of what Spice of Life meant, was variety is the spice of life. Uh-huh, no matter, I was going to ask you that question. You just if answered I have, 
yeah, if I have one that I really love, I'll get tired of it in two weeks if that was the only thing I had, you know? Right. So, I mean, I've got favorites that I really never get tired of, but I wouldn't that'll, want to just have them exclusively, you know? I'd like to have a, a couple of them off. Oh, what have you got? Some, right now, I've got a jar with some beautiful sweet skunk, one with some Burmese, Seedsman Haze, and a new one I haven't tried yet. It's just uh, gifted to me called Avalanche. Oh, man, you're not smoking these funky, uh, diluted, hybrid, cookie, OG, non-cush, non-cush. I have a little bit of a rock star kush that was quite nice that a friend brought me. Uh Uh, Yeah, Eliminator, that was a new one to me that I tried recently. That's a great name, Eliminator. (laughs) I I don't know. But uh, it had an unusual taste. Kind of reminded me of Riesling. It kind of had that new car vinyl smell. (laughs) Well, hey, listen. We got to show our sponsors some Grow Show love right now. And I'm going to take a toke and inhale deeply. And we will be right back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, Most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We're talking with Breeder Steve, creator of Spice of Life Seed Company. Steve, so we're going to get a little serious in the second segment here. You know, cannabis genetics can be a tricky thing as far as patents and ownership, IP, intellectual property. There's a lot of intellectual property that's freely traded in this industry and, and probably a lot more that's stolen as well. Is... How do you see this kind of thing shaking out in the near future? Do you think uh, Big Canna, similar to Big Pharma, is going to have the biggest footprint? That's a very interesting thought. As you know, there hasn't been much uh, in the way of plant breeders' rights for cannabis breeders as there has been for tomatoes or any other crops. 
but that'll change as legalization becomes more active, you know? Right. It's, I suspect the big companies like that already have things lined up ready to patent. There's the U.S. government holds patents on cannabis as medicine while claiming it's not a medicine. <laughs> There's a huge can of worms there, you know? It is, huh? Now, I think it'll be great that breeders doing breeding will be able to get some recognition for that sure. in the future. In the past, you know, none of us have really had a problem with putting stuff out into the commons because it was a matter of preservation. There's uh-huh. status trying to make a plant extinct and a plant we know to be eminently useful uh-huh. and, dare I say, sacred to us, you know. We're part of the larger human tribe that appreciates this plant. And so when the governments want to make it extinct, we have moral obligation to preserve it and develop it further to its fullest potential. So now there'll be a potential for protecting that work to benefit the breeders. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, it's a, a plant that's existing in the wild all over the world in many places. And it is everybody's as far as that goes, you know, it's part sure. of nature. It belongs to everyone. And so but, are tomatoes uh, and corn, but that didn't stop Monsanto, right? Well, no, and, and tomatoes were sort of bred out of the wild too. Like they don't, they weren't here, you know, thousands of years ago, right? There's well, tomatoes it's a really developed. I think it's a really important perspective that you have. You know, it is important for people who have been working many years to finally get some credit and and be able to profit from the work that they're doing. So I'm curious: are are you currently working on any kind of genetic mapping, or or what kind of new projects are you working on? Well, that's right. In conjunction with a lab up here, we are doing lots in tissue culture, but we're also saving genetics, saving generations of genetics. So Mm -hmm. to uh, patent a plant, you have to be able to show essentially three generations to show that you've stabilized it to 80% homozygous. Mm. Um, The last I checked, and this was quite a while ago. So then you can... Once that's the case, then you can apply for the patent on the plant. So there's lots of other things you can do, too, as far as gene splicing, which might make a really great addition to a plant. If you could find a cannabis plant that was impervious to mildew, which there Uh are, which we've all had that one plant that just wouldn't mildew, you know, when other things around it were going down. So you can isolate the gene that's protecting that plant. That's right. And insert it into other ones. So you're really just moving cannabis genes around the same right. as you would if you were crossing them and doing selective breeding, but minus all the trial and exactly. error. Exactly. That's what I've been trying to point out to many people that, you know, genetic modification is just a fancy term for something that we've been doing all along with breeding. Yeah, it's and a very broad term. It's a exactly. Term. And, and to demonize it just in whole is really short-sighted. A lot of medicines and things were developed in, in such ways. So, you know, we have to embrace technology. You we know, are that's, all genetically modified. Yeah, we are all genetically, you know, we, I heard the other day someone say that we are already cyborgs. And his example was that, you know, if you pick up an axe, that axe now becomes part of your body. So you are now a machine. And so if you take it to that level that, you know, we don't really need to wait until we are embedded with the chips in our heads because we're already on our way there. So we're already cyborgs. 
That's right. So what do you think of the new administration that's coming you know, into power in Canada? Do you think the apparent push towards loosening laws will actually come to fruition? Any potential pitfalls to the legislation process? Well, there's, it's fraught with pitfalls. This is the thing is, you know, we've all wanted legalization forever. But on the other hand, we have to be careful how we get it, you know, because of it could course. be – they can make it almost worse, you know, if they're not clever about it. It's the old and thing, be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah, well, we, we all want it legal. There's no question. We, nobody should be penalized for growing herb in their backyard or their balcony or whatever, you know. This is ridiculous. I, you know, in Canada, part of their mandate is they want to have it cheaper than the black market. And they want to regulate it similar to alcohol and tobacco. Yet, then they put up all these double standards saying they don't want to have any import-export. Well, that's not the case with alcohol and tobacco. You know, a Cuban cigar is only a Cuban cigar if it's from Cuba. And uh, just as champagne only comes from champagne, right? So, there's a huge amount of potential for global trade. Rather, you know, I like to think, too, with the trade, not aid. You know, there's farmers in Afghanistan that have been making spectacular hash for centuries. Why not let them sell it and import it here. And the same with Lebanon, the same with Thai sticks. Like there's an entire global culture of cannabis appreciation. There's the terroirs that go with that. There's specific, you know, varieties that are home to different places. You know, one of the more interesting joints I remember smoking was one that bubble man gave me actually right when I was getting married and I had it right like five minutes after I got married and was walking down the beach and it was a joint of Mullumbimby madness mailed up from Australia. And it was a different genetic than I'd ever tasted, but the terroir was also so different. You know, the soil. What was that word you you just used? Terroir. Yeah. What does that mean? Terroir is like an indication. It's like the environment. So if you figure when you look at a sack of herb, or hash for that matter, it's half environment, it's half genetic. So if you took like a one design sailboat race, say you took the same cutting of skunk number one and you planted it in different states in Mexico or Jamaica or New York state or Oregon, each of those plants is going to taste different. Even though it's the same plant, that you're tasting and smelling the terroir, which is the site-specific characteristics filtered through the lens of the variety that you're growing. So- terroir. You know, I always learn something every time I talk to you, Steve. And the funny thing is, is it brings me back to the roux you cooked for me the time that you took to cook that meal in Switzerland at home. And it really comes out in your dedication. You know, this it's going by so quick and we only have a few minutes left. So I kind of want to get to the root of it. What's your version of the perfect level of cannabis legalization? Well, as far as what we're looking at here and what I'm hoping to see is a, it should, you know, what we're not going to see is what we saw in Switzerland at least right away was legal like carrots. You do not require a license to plant it. There is no limit on plant numbers. There's no limit on the commerce of it. It is legal in that it was unregulated. That's the ideal 
you know, the less government intervention, the better in any market. And what we're going to have here is something approaching a sin tax, as they'd have on both tobacco and alcohol. The liquor boards here are provincial, and they would like to have the ability to sell it. And part of their stick is that we're used to keeping stuff out of kids' hands. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know a teenager that's not getting something from the liquor store. <laughs> you know, they all, they all, or the parents' medicine cabinet. Right? That's right. So they, they've, never, they've never kept it out of the hands of kids. So it's almost insane to think they have any way of doing that. And you can grow poppies at the end of your driveway. You should be able to grow grass just because you like the look of it. You know, making artificial scarcity isn't the right thing to do. But anyway, here they're debating corner stores versus liquor stores. And I think what they have to realize is there's going to be vodka with pot in it. There's also going to be tobacco with hash in it. And cannabis competes and complements both alcohol and tobacco. Lots of people have a culture of mixing tobacco with their grass, for right or wrong. That's just something that happens. And some people like to drink it, you know, as tinctures or whatnot. So I don't see any reason not to sell it in liquor stores or in gas stations. Anywhere they sell tobacco, they're not supposed to sell that to kids either. So I really would like to see it. You know, you can get a pack of field-grown outdoor cigarettes for the same price, whether it's grass or tobacco. That seems reasonable. If you wanted to go to a specialty tobacco shop and get a really nice cigar or a blunt, that's your business. And if you want to go to a lounge that's non-drinking, no tobacco use, just a purist ganja place, that's cool too. I don't think they need to reinvent the wheel. They've got to just lighten up. The savings alone on not persecuting people. Is are worth there any, far more than tax revenue? <laughs> so, are there any political action groups out there, you know, in Canada that are out there beating the drums for the causes that you know we agree with? You know, trying to make to make sure that it doesn't get overregulated. Absolutely, I think the best voice in Canada right now is Dana Larson with Sensible BC. He's putting forward the most logical and sensible roadmap for them. And have does a reasonable he, legalization. Does Dana Larson have a website that you could mention? I'm sure he does. I'm, I'm going to assume it's sensiblebc.bc.ca, but I don't actually know that, so I can look well, it up. Well, luckily, Google knows everything. So Google That's Sensible right. BC and Dana Larson. And if you're living in North America, in Canada, please check them out. Steve, before we go, I'd like to give you a moment to uh, mention a website or a company that, you, that you're working with. Is there any way that the listeners out there can get a hold of you or send you an email? You know, if you want to connect, just hook up with me on Instagram at Breeder Steve. Beautiful. Beautiful, Steve. It's been wonderful, and I hope we get to hang out really soon. Thank you so much for doing the show, man. Yeah, I hope to have you up here for a visit sometime. But We're going to do it. I'm going to bring the wife. We're running out of time in this segment again, so I'm going to thank Breeder Steve for joining us, and we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. 
If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. Now it's time for the final segment of the show I like to call Ask Kyle. Every day I get questions from people out there listening to the show, and it's awesome to have such an engaged audience. A few questions from our followers sparked my interest this week. And from Carson via Facebook, when is the best time to trim, before or after drying? Also, I've never hung out a whole plant to dry like I've seen in your pictures. Is that a better way to do it? You know, I never get tired of talking about drying and curing because you spend so much time two, three, four months growing the plant and growing the flowers. And I like to say you should take just as much care drying your plants and trimming your plants as you do growing them. It has such an effect on the the quality of the finished product. So, you know, hanging the plants whole was really out of necessity. It made it much easier for me to chop down my plants and get it all done. But I realized that hanging the plant whole just gives you a slower dry. And a slow dry means a more smoother smoke. So, you know, just give it a try. Chop the plant down whole, hang it on the line. It makes your little buds and your big buds dry out at at the same time which doesn't happen when you chop the plant into pieces. As for the best time to trim before or after drying, well, it really depends on whether you're going for the best smokable flowers or the best concentrate. If you want the best concentrate, you're definitely going to want to trim wet, and you want to get that wet trim into a freezer, that sugar trim, and keep it wet. But For me, I've spent all this time growing because I want the best flowers. So for me, the best thing to do is to chop that plant down unmolested, just take off all the sugar and water leaves. I'm sorry, not sugar. Take off all the water and fan leaves and leave all the sugar leaves on. And you take that off afterwards and by not damaging the trichomes and the flower and giving them all these wounds with the scissors, all the essential oils don't evaporate quite as much. So I definitely say trim dry. 
From Kelly via Facebook, what week in flower is it best to apply pollen for a plant that can finish between eight and nine weeks? That's a really good question, Kelly. So you're making your own seeds and you've got some pollen and you want to know when to put it in there. Well, you know, you can just do it naturally. You can have a male in there and have it flower with the girls. And once you know that there is some dieback of the pistils, you know, once it's released the pollen, you can remove the plant there. But, you know, you can do it a little bit more particular about it. And if you want to get a decent weight of flowers as well as get your seeds, you'll wait until about mid-flowering before you apply the pollen. Again, you can control how many seeds you get. You can just get, you know, a handful of seeds on a bud or you can seed out a whole plant. You can use a Q-tip, a cotton swab, and apply just a few, few grains of pollen to make sure that you get the genetics that you need and you can still get a good harvest. So... I suggest pollinating right about the middle of flowering. From Shway317 via Reddit, what are some cheap ways to increase yield in a smaller soil and CFL closet setup? Well, Shway, that would be yield enhancement techniques. And what you want to do is you want to manipulate the plants. So you want to do a lot of pruning to keep kind of a bonsai technique. And you want to keep the plants small so that they create a lot of nodes in a smaller space. That's one way. The other way is super cropping, which is twisting and bending and breaking. And that'll also help to minimize vertical height and maximize horizontal growth of the plants. So the more budding sites you have, you know, you can get a higher yield in a smaller place. From Anderson via email, I'm going to be starting my first grow soon, and it really does make me nervous. I want to be able to get at least a decent yield off three to four plants. My question is, what advice could you give me for starting out? Are there certain tips for beginners? Could you shed a little light so I don't make the same routine mistakes that happen to all beginners? Well, you know, a good idea is to start off with three to four plants and one light. It makes it really easy to pay close attention. Observation is key. And what I can say is watering. Overwatering is the biggest mistake that newbies tend to make, overwatering and overfeeding. So I suggest using Vega Matrix because you feed with every watering, so there's no guesswork there. And the way you prevent yourself from overwatering is simply cycle your plants. Go from complete wet to dry cycles. So when you water, you completely saturate, so you get some drainage out the bottom of the pot and then don't water again until the plant is completely dry. And when you're first starting out, the way you find that out is by actually letting a plant wilt a little bit. It won't hurt it. Within 30 to 60 minutes after watering, after you see that plant just begin to wilt a little bit, it will come right back and then you'll get to see just how light the plant can really get. You don't have to get it to wilt every time. Just give yourself that reference point so you can keep yourself from overwatering. You really can let the pots get really, really light. So that's all the time that, unfortunately, I have for you guys today. If you want to submit your own questions, just go to our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash thegrowshow, or you can tweet questions to at Radio using hashtag thegrowshow, or send via direct message. We are out of time, so I'd like to thank our guests and producers for making this show possible. Please check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media, upcoming events I'll be attending, and subscribe to my newsletter. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman, and as always, please stay lifted.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.